It was my mother who said to me, each night and each morning, that if you find one thing that's interesting today, then you are blessed. Find something interesting every day of your life and you will live a long and rewarding life. And I believe that's just what I did. And I believe I've managed to live a long and rewarding life. I am, after all, a hundred and four tomorrow. That's a jolly good innings, is it not? I think it is. Hey ho, hey ho. Perhaps it's more than I deserve. <laughs>
I think it is. It's being interested in something beyond the merely superficial. It's not just scrolling through the news or flipping through a magazine. It's choosing a specific thing or subject or person and trying to find out as much as you can about it or them. And that's what you study in your department? In interesting studies, yes. We study interest. You're interested in interest? Very interested. Fascinated energised, thrilled, but not obsessed. So obsession is bad? Oh, well, it's not healthy. When we talk about being interested, we mean having a healthy interest in something, but not to the exclusion of everything else. Obsession occurs when you focus on one thing to the exclusion of all others. That's not good for you. Okay, well, I get that. I mean, that's logical. So interest should be eclectic? Yes, though not too widely spread out at any one time. So there's a balance? Yes, there's a balance of interest which we can call healthy. You're interested in a few things at once, one or two more than the others, but you're also always open to the prospect of moving on once you've satisfied the specific level of interest you have in something. Right, so it's a journey. It's a journey. Being interested means being open-minded, ready to look at something new or try to understand something old, for instance, something you used to take for granted and now want to see in a new light. And you're always ready to be surprised and to follow paths you never expected to follow. What you're really talking about is people who have open personalities, who, who like to try new things and want to find out about different cultures and foods and new forms of music. I mean, isn't that right? Yeah, you can put it that way. But we aren't sociologists or psychologists. We're interested in interest. Is being interested different to being an expert? It is, but that doesn't exclude people who are experts in something. One thing. You can be an expert brain surgeon, but be interested in a whole host of different things. Or you can be an expert brain surgeon and be interested in nothing but brain surgery. Often in those cases, people like that aren't even interested in brain surgery. It's just what they do. Well, how can you be an expert in something without being interested in it? Well, think of some of the accountants you've met, or lawyers. Accountancy or law are just a job. They aren't that bothered about the history or sociology of their fields, or the human aspects, or the future prospects of their professions. They just do it and go home. Right, well, I see what you mean. Our work shows that being interested starts in early childhood and often ends in school. In school? Yes. The problem with most educational systems is that it tries to teach us too much and ends up teaching us almost nothing save the essentials, reading and writing and arithmetic. Well, that's a pretty damning judgement of schools. It's deserved. There's research which shows that the level of interest children have declines as they move through their school career. A seven-year study tracked kids' experiences and showed that they got less and less interested in most of what they were being taught as the years passed. But crucially, when they did find something interesting, then the quality of their learning increased exponentially. Right, so perhaps the point of school is to offer a kids like a menu of subjects and they can see which they end up being interested in. Well, that's a scattershot approach. The problem is that many kids conclude that there's nothing on offer in school that interests them. Them. They conclude that life is just a series of dull days spent doing something they need to do to get from the morning bell to the afternoon bell. And then that's how they enter their working lives. Like those accountants and lawyers I mentioned. And 
let me point out, I have no preconceptions about accountancy or the law. I know a lot of very interested accountants and lawyers. Let's get back to Uncle Cyril. Yeah, dear Uncle Cyril. What did he do? He had a very disrupted school career. His father was in the British Navy and the family moved from country to country as his postings changed. His father was a senior officer who had fought in the First World War and then became a career service. Cyril experienced some very diverse cultures from Northern England to Ireland to Algiers to Egypt, Hong Kong and Australia. Well, it's not surprising he became a very interested person then. As I said, that's not a given. He might have just become very tired of moving around, but Cyril thrived in diversity. He joined the Navy as a young man, which was during the Second World War, and he served in the Mediterranean and then in the Pacific. He left the Navy in the early 50s and became a travelling salesman. Of, uh, let me guess, braces? (laughs) Men's formal attire, including braces, yes. And I'll guess again, it didn't satisfy him. No, but he kept at it so that he could support his family. He was a voracious reader. He liked to play cricket for his local team. He collected stamps. He saved up for holidays in exotic places and learned how to service his own car. He did all those things because he was interested in them. He did, and then when he retired, he began to take courses. He did eight A-levels, three degrees, and achieved a PhD all between the ages of 58 and 71. And that was just the start. Well, sounds exhausting. No, but for Cyril, it was fulfilling, energising. He felt alive rather than, well, retired. He says he never believed in retirement. You know, I think we should let Uncle Cyril speak for himself now. Yes, he's an inspiring man. He's unfortunately in hospital at the moment, but still in very good spirits. We're hoping he'll be going into a very nice care home soon. I had the privilege of going to see him yesterday, and as I found out... He is in very high spirits, and his treatment has not dampened his interest in, well, everything. You know my nurse, Lucinda? She's from Slovenia. Fascinating place, Slovenia. Right next to Italy. In fact, Trieste used to be in Slovenia. (laughs) Rambling again. Hey-ho, hey-ho. That's the chance you take when you're talking to me, old chap. You'll get lost in the circles of my mind. Isn't that a song? Something about windmills. From that film, was it Paul Newman? Great actor. Where was I? Ah, the Thomas Crown Affair. Yes, it was. You mentioned your nurse, Lucinda. Ah, yes. She tells me Trieste is a beautiful city. Her father was born there when it was part of Yugoslavia. I vaguely remember that it was. But then it was given back to Italy and... uh, What's my point? I don't know, but it is interesting. Ah, there. Now I've inspired you to visit Trieste. Or at least my nurse Lucinda's provenance has inspired you. Ah, yes, now I know. She asked me, Cyril, you are unusual because you have lived so long. And I wondered if that was true. Did you know that, according to the UK's Office of National Statistics, I am one of 2.5% of the population who are aged 100 and over? Fascinating. Oh, fascinating and lucky. Not lucky, well, perhaps a little. But as my niece must have told you, I believe it's because I never stop being interested in, well, how many people have managed to live to this grand age of mine. But hey-ho, hey-ho, we're all mortal and finite, and being finitely human means... I have to accept that despite my belt and braces approach to being healthy, I will, one day, succumb to the inevitable. Are you interested in what comes next? Well, naturally, old boy, uh, young boy, uh, 
How old are you? 55. You don't look a day over 45. Well, thank you. That's because you make these uh, radio shows. Podcasts. Podcasts, that's it. You cast for a pod and people listen. Well, actually, I don't know why they're called podcasts. Well, let's find out. Oh, okay. Um, Time to break out the iPhone, old chap. Oh, right. Though I may say that Google, though it is a wonder, is not that good for being truly interested in something. Oh, why? Too many temptations, too many forked roads, too many possible byways and distractions. Sometimes you have to stay on the straight road to arrive at understanding. Though you must always be ready to take an interesting detour. But being interested means you have to stay the course. Have some intellectual stamina. Keep going until you feel you have satisfied your interest. Well, that's wise advice, Cyril. Well, you're just saying that because I'm wrinkled and wiry. (laughs) No, no, not at all. I'm joshing with you, old man. (laughs) Old man, you're a mere pup. Right, yes. (laughs) What does Professor Google say then, old bean? Oh, right, okay. Um, Right, Uh, it says... Podcast is a portmanteau, a combination of iPod and broadcast. The term podcasting was first suggested by the Guardian columnist and BBC journalist Ben Hammersley, who invented it in early February 2004 while writing an article for the Guardian newspaper. Fascinating. So we have Apple to blame. Well, I don't think it was their fault. So why iPod? I don't know. Well, find out, young man, find out. Oh, of course, yes, yes. OK. You're um, very dexterous. Well, well, thank you. My, my daughter says I, I use technology like a boomer. Well, you are a boomer, aren't you? Well, not, no, not strictly. I'm a, a Gen X, I think. And what am I? Uh, I don't really know, but... No, no, no details. OK, so uh, in this citation it says uh, the name iPod was coined for use with the Apple Music Player by copywriter Vinny Cieco. He was called in by Apple to help market the new product. Curiously, Apple had already registered the trademark iPod, but had originally intended it to be used as the name for its internet kiosks, though these never saw the light of day. Ah, so, so what that proves is that something we take for granted always has a surprising backstory. You're right. Fascinating. Oh dear, my back, it's hurting again. Got something going on behind the old spine of mine. Do you mind if I turn on some soothing music? It helps me, you know. No, no, be be my guest. It's Muzak, really, but I find it soothing. Well, it's nice. Muzak. Why is that spelt with a Z? Well, shall I look that up? Are you tired of doing this? Not at all. My wife, Amelia... She would get exasperated sometimes. I'd wonder about things so often that she'd sigh and say, Cyril is musing again, take cover. Hmm. Right. Well, uh, it says here the, um, the concept of background music owes much of its development to French composer Eric Satie. His piece, Furniture Music, was meant to be played as if it did not exist to be construed as a facet of the environment and no more, while music is considered a precursor to ambient music, as later defined by composers like Brian Emo and Pauline Oliveros. Muzak was the invention of Major General George O. Squire, the US Army's chief signal officer during World War One. Sati. Um, Amelia loved Sati. I, I miss Amelia. That's something I don't find interesting. 
What, missing your wife isn't interesting? It's painful. Oh, of course it is, of course. I, I don't mean to bring down the mood, old boy, sorry. So, Muzak. Well, we, we don't have to pursue it. No, 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 we must. As Amelia used to say to me, if you hadn't have pursued me, Cyril, we might never have fallen in love. Why did you pursue her? Because I found her interesting, so very, very interesting. The most interesting human being I ever met. And because you were interested... I found the love of my life. Well, that sounds like the perfect definition of interest. I suppose it is, old chap, but hey-ho, hey-ho, time passes. And time is unforgiving, even if it's one of the most interesting phenomena we encounter in our lives. So, shall I go back to Muzak? Yes, yes, Muzak. Let's get to the bottom of Muzak. OK, so radio was still a fledgling art in the 1920s, difficult and expensive to manage, so Squire created a way of transmitting signals across electrical wires, so no radio was necessary. In 1934, he founded his company, Wired Radio Inc., inspired by the sound of another successful company called Kodak. He later renamed it to Muzak. Ah, so the transmission of the sound was called Muzak, not the music or the Muzak itself. That's right, the company he founded was called Muzak and they provided music to hotels and offices and so on. And so that got called Muzak. It's a bit like Hoover and vacuum cleaners. Fascinating. Surprising. Amazing. <sighs> oh, you're tired. I should go. Perhaps, but come back and make another podcast with me. Agnes won't mind. I find the whole thing... Interesting? Indeed, interesting. Stay interested, young man, and you will never be unhappy. Oh, thank you, Cyril. Well, thank you, old chap. I wish I'd met your wife. You would have found her fascinating, but that's another world now. Perhaps. You never know. It might be the next world for me. Some philosophers suggest that we go around and around the same life path again and again. Let me tell you, old chap, I certainly hope so. I really do hope so. Indeed. But hey-ho, hey-ho. That's the end of this episode of the South Mims U podcast. I hope you found it, well, interesting. As Uncle Cyril says, stay interested and you'll always be happy. Goodbye.